Nice boots. Thanks. Ready for this cold to be over with? Yep. I can't help but notice. How far along are you? What? When's the baby due? I'm not pregnant. Is it hot in here? All right, talk about uncomfortable. I did that once. True story, absolutely true story. I asked this lady if she was pregnant. It wasn't pretty. She was not. Well, we're starting a brand new series called Uncomfortable. Are you guys ready to go? You guys ready? Now, if you want to get a head start, you can find in your Bible or on your smartphone uh, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about this, this name Christian or this term Christian. Now, over the years, this term has come to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? I mean, it's kind of all over the board. If you were to go back, let's say, 50 years to the 1950s, uh, I think the vast majority of people, when they hear this term Christian, they would respond in a very kind of positive manner, right? Uh, but you fast forward to, to now, just 50 or 60 years later, uh, while I still think there would be some positive response, I think by and large, uh, the culture has shifted and that name Christian carries a lot more negative connotivity to it, doesn't it? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, so all throughout history, uh, it's been, you know, cultures reacted in several different ways to this, this term Christian. Sometimes it's been very positive and sometimes it's been nothing but negative, now, if you were to go back, you know, some 2,000 years ago when the term Christian was first coined or first used, it was actually used in a small town just after the death of Christ in a town called Antioch. And the pagan people, the people who had uh, no care for the things of God or, 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 or Jesus at all, they, they used this as a, as a derogatory statement. They used this as a way to belittle those who would try to follow Christ with their lives, and, and they use this term, a, a Greek expression that was called Christianos. So they called these people Christianos, which literally means, um, it's a Greek expression that literally means little Christ followers, or little Christ, or little or smaller versions of Christ. And so they would look at Christians and they would go, they, they would literally go like, whoa, look at those like Jesus wannabes. They would, they would literally go like, look at those Jesus lookalikes, these small Jesuses running around. You know, like you heard of Austin Powers, right? Mini-me? Well, these were mini-hymns, right? And they literally would look at this, and it would carry this negative connotivity to it, right? This negative derogatory term. And, and now, just like then, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about people like some of us who would, who would call themselves Christians who would label themselves Christians, and, and much of what people would say is negative. When they look at people like me and look at some of you in this room, they have negative things to say about what it means to be Christianos, a follower of Jesus, right? And, and truthfully, we've given them some fuel for that negativity over the years. We've given them fuel for this for this fire. Um, we've given them an excuse for, for, to, for it to be derogatory. Uh, we, we've taken the name. We, we've willfully taken on the name of the Holy One, and yet we've dragged his name through the mud 
because we are not so holy, are we, sometimes? We, we've willfully taken on the, the name of love, the one who was called love made flesh. Literally, the, 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 the expression of God's love. And we've been less than loving to the world around us. We, we've taken on this term that says we are servants of the Most High God. And yet, most of us do very little to serve the High God or the world around us. Mo, mo, listen, we, we've taken on these expressions, this name of Christ, and yet we say we've come to build his kingdom. And yet, literally, we spend almost all of our time pampering ourselves, building our own little kingdom. And the world sees this. They go, I don't, I don't get the connection. Because we, we say it matters so much in here, in our hearts. Our faith matters to us. But the world says we see very little of it out there. And because this term has come, what it, what it means today, I often find it difficult to label myself Christian. Now, I'm not in a crusade against the name. I love the name. I, I can't think of a better thing for people to think of when they see me. If they were to go like, "Woo, there goes a little mini Jesus around, I'd be like really happy. Like if people looked at my life and thought of his life, I, I just can't think of a better way that somebody could think of me. How about you? But that's just not often the case. And, and so, but because of what the terms have come to mean today, um, I prefer a different term for, for myself and for our church. I, I, would, I would like for us to be seen as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ. Have you heard this term, disciple of Christ? Well, what's interesting, listen to the invitation that Jesus gave, because I'm going to tell you something, friends. Look at me for a second. Jesus never once invited us to be Christians, never once, but over and over, he invited us to be his follower, to be a disciple. So Luke 14, starting in verse 25, if you found it on your smartphone, here you go. It begins with this, a large crowd was following Jesus. He was teaching, and what's really kind of funny about it is every time Jesus talked, um, crowds gathered, and the longer he talked, the bigger the crowd. We don't have that problem around here. The longer I talk, the thinner the crowd, okay? It's just not a problem around here. But for Jesus, all these people just kept coming. And then he says something kind of crazy. He, it becomes radical, his thinking here. He turns to the crowd, and he says to them, Listen, if you want to be my what? Say this word, my disciple. If you want to be my disciple, he says it, it means something. He says it's going to cost you something. And then he says this, you must hate everything else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sister. Yes, he says even your own life. He says if you want to come after me, if you want to be known as someone who does life with me, who's connected to me, who people, when they look at you, they see me. He says, it's going to cost you something. People are going to think that you're crazy. Now, pause for a second. Look at this. Does anybody else think that this is a little bit much? I mean, when you read this, like just kind of cold turkey, you kind of go, man, that's asking a lot that we would love God, that we would love Jesus, the Son of God, in such a way that it just seems like we hate everything else in life. It doesn't tell us to hate everything else in life. It just says that by comparison, it's going to seem like we hate everything else. Does anybody else find that to be a very high standard? 
I think so. And then he says this phrase, it just scares me. He says, unless you get to that point, he says, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And then he ratchets it up even more. If that wasn't bad enough, you can't even be my disciple. You can't be known as one who follows me. Then he says something crazier. He says, if you uh, are not going to carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my what? Disciple. He, he literally comes and he says, this is going to cost you something. You better consider the cost of what it means to identify with me. It will move your life. It will change your life. It will hurt your life, your lifestyle, who you think you are. It will change all of that. It will cost you something. And I'm not talking about this watered-down American version of, of Christianity, right? Which is really nothing more than, than kind of a cultural value tradition sort of a thing, right? Because you realize even today in America, roughly 85% of all Americans roughly claim the name of Christian. They identify with the name of Christian in some way. And yet, and yet, just by observation, most do not live any different than the world around them. Don't live any different. So if you want to be my disciple, Jesus comes along. He says, you need to understand something. This is going to cost you. Consider the cost because this, is, this isn't like just a little safe game we're playing. This isn't churchianity. This is, this is a radical call to a radical life. This is a call that will move you somewhere, that will change who you are. And this is where it's going to become uncomfortable with us. And I want you to think about how crazy this is. Jesus is a very strange leader at times. Don't take that wrong, okay? But, but, he, but he's very strange with some of the things that he says. What leader, if he's trying to build a religion, what leader, if he's trying to build large crowds of people who are going to give him money and get the applause of man, if, what leader who wants to get people to come together like we're doing right now, sit in nice little rows, give their money, do a few nice things, cheer and feel all good about themselves, what leader says, oh, by the way, the invitation to all of this is that you come and die? You die. What kind of leader, if they're trying to build just a feel-good religion, says, oh, yeah, the cost is a cross? What happens on a cross? Anybody know? What happens on a cross? People die. Crosses are for death. Crosses are for killing people. And Jesus says the invitation for a life together with God comes through a cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. Otherwise, 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 don't kid yourself. You cannot be my disciple. Now, behind me is, uh, is a lazy boy. You all know what a lazy boy is, right? Come on, y'all know lazy boys are sweet. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have a lazy boy in the room? Y'all got a lazy boy? There's nothing wrong with lazy boys. Put those hands up proud. Come on. They're, lazy boys are beautiful. They're the, like the icon of comfort, aren't they? They're, they're, they're just really, really a sweet, sweet thing. And like old people, they get side-by-side lazy boys, right? So they can sit back and watch the grass grow together. It's sweet, right? I mean, lazy boys are incredible. Lazy boys are all about comfort. And you listen, there's nothing wrong with comfort. You realize that there's nothing wrong with being comfortable in life. Everybody needs a, you know, a lazy boy to sit down in every once in a while. And in America, we're about comfort. 
We really are. We, we got comfort inns. We got comfort suites. We got eye comfort. We got select comfort. We got comfort spas. We got comfort zones. We got it all going on comfort-wise, right? We got comfort thermostats. We got just comfort everything. I mean, pedicures and manicures and massages. We got this comfort, you know, mentality going on. Matter of fact, listen, Lynette, my beautiful, lovely wife, uh, she wanted a medicure, what do they call it, manicure, pedicure thing. I didn't even know what it was. Honest to God, I had to call some lady in my church and go, hey, uh, when I want this man cure thing, I don't, what's the deal with, I don't understand, she's trying to fix me, I don't, I don't know, but like, seriously, and I bought her this little package because she wanted it for Christmas, right, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we, we got this mentality where we say we want a comfortable life, we want a comfortable car, comfortable house, comfortable furniture, comfortable friendships, comfortable entertainment, it's comfort, it's an eye comfort sort of world we live in. Now, I want you to think about this. Whoever invented this lazy boy, this guy knew what he was doing. I mean, lazy boys are sweet, right? Because uh, you can do all kinds of things in the lazy boy, right? When you, when you work the whole day and you're kind of tired and zoning out, you do this, right? You kick back and you go, yeah. That's what I'm talking about right here. I could preach from this position every week. This is nice stuff, you know what I mean? Think about a lazy boy, right? Because lazy boy is like the perfect position because you can eat large amounts of food, and it just slides right in. You know, you know what I'm saying? It just, it just flows easy, right? And then, after you've eaten your large amounts of food, you can totally veg out, and you can what? Sleep. There's no, there's no deal here. It's like made for this. This is like genius, right? And then when you wake up from your little nap, you flip on the TV, and the position's perfect. I mean, this is like the life. And, and the truth is, we all need a lazy boy to escape to every once in a while because the world we live in Let's just be honest, it's pretty doggone uncomfortable. Have you seen the world? Have you seen how crazy the world is? We have war, we have terrorism, we have global financial instability, we have global unrest in so many ways. There is stress and there is anxiety in the world. We, some of us have teenagers. Some of us have teenagers. Are you with me, people? You, you know what I mean? And so we need this every once in a while. We have to find this every once in a while. But let me tell you something, friends. I don't think Jesus was about the lazy boy. Listen, I, I could be crazy about this, but I don't think that when Jesus was going to the cross, he was too into comfort. I don't think that Jesus was too into comfort when he told you and he told me to pick up our cross and follow him. I don't think he was too concerned about what sleep number you have or what comfort level you're at when he told you to go into the, the whole world and make disciples of other people. I don't think he was too concerned about interrupting your life, taking away your free time. He wasn't too concerned with being all that comfortable, right? Are you, are you hearing me, friends? Now, I could be wrong about this, but when he says... It's almost like he was preparing us for a very uncomfortable life because he comes along and he says, uh, in this world, because of me, you will know persecution. He said, when you do my will, be prepared for the whole world to hate you and to come against you. Do, do you think he was like winding us up for a comfortable life? No, I think it was radically different. And these preachers, um, 
I totally disagree with what they, on TV, these, these preachers who come out, they're not reading the same scriptures we're reading. Uh, they're not, they're, I think they're just kind of full of it because, listen, they come out and say, oh, God wants you happy, happy, happy. God wants you uh, prosperous and wealthy and wise and a bigger car and a bigger house and a bigger life and a bigger, bigger, better, better, better. Really? Jesus says, because of me, you will know suffering. It was almost like he was preparing us for something. You know what he says? He says, he says, don't get too comfortable in this world. You come to my house, I say, make yourself at home. Throw your feet up. Go get something to eat. That's fine with me. Come on, hang out. It's good. But Jesus comes along, he says, no, 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 no. In this world, don't get too comfortable. Because this world's not your home. You're just passing through this world. You're not going to hang out here long. You get 60, 70, 80 years and you're good to go. You're going to spend far more time on the other side of the grave than this side of the grave. And so you better not get too comfortable here. Matter of fact, the scripture says that you and I, we're aliens in this world. We're strangers in this world. We don't belong in this world. So he says, don't get too comfortable here. It's different than what we've heard. So I don't think Jesus was you know, too into comfort. Now listen, it's not that we can't relax out once in a while. It's not that God is, uh, we, we should be against the good things of God. Y'all hear me on this? I thank God for the good things of life. Anybody hear me? Thank God for his blessings in our life. Absolutely. The problem is not the blessings. The problem is not the things of this world. The problem is, is when the things of this world overtake the things of God for us. The problem becomes when going out to eat matters more than feeding the poor. The problem is when, when entertainment and relaxation rolls into one event after another event that just simply relaxes ourselves right into the grave, entertains ourselves right into the grave. That becomes the problem because we've missed out on the kingdom of God. The problem is not, you know, uh, getting a nicer whatever. The problem is when that becomes the pursuit of our life over the pursuit of God himself. That's where the problem is, friends. And Jesus says, when comfortability becomes your highest goal, then there's something wrong with your faith. There's something broken inside of your soul. Um, I think Jesus was telling us that we could expect in this life an uncomfortable life. And, and, and again, uh, I'm not talking about having some sort of martyr's complex where we go home and lay on a bed of nails. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that at some point, the scripture teaches you and me that this world is not our home and we better not get too comfy here. And for those of us in this room who are what we would say Christians, where we've taken on this name of Christ in our life, I want to say something to you. I think that We've got to get to this point in our life. And you may want to write this down. This might be right on your refrigerator. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We need to get comfortably uncomfortable. Y'all hear me on this? Say this with me. Comfortably uncomfortable. One, two, three. Comfortably uncomfortable. We need to get comfortable with being made uncomfortable by the Spirit of God. How come nobody says amen with that? That's good. It's true. We should be willing to be moved by the Spirit of God. Now listen, if you're like on the front end of this, if you're like, like a, a seeking and, and you're trying to figure out this whole God thing and you've walked into here and you go like, this is like a cult, man. This guy's like, woo, you know. No, no, listen. 
We built this place so that you would be comfortable. We, we built this building so you would come in and go, I can relate to this. Uh, we, we paid the heat bill so that you would be comfortable sitting here. Amen. Right? It's Michigan. Okay, now listen, listen, listen. Um, we've made it comfortable for you to come in here with your doubts, your questions, your anxieties toward God. We made it totally comfortable. We, 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 we embrace your search. But one thing that we do not want is for you to stay comfortable with just being comfortable in your life. We want you to move. We want you to be stretched. We, we want you to be comfortable with letting God make you spiritually uncomfortable. We want you to be moved by God's Spirit. Allow yourself to be spoken to by God. And for those of us who are, are, are following Christ, um, we can never get comfortable with our life as it is, who we are. We can't just sit back and go, oh, this is so nice. We've got to allow God to continue to move us and to stretch us and to change us. Uh, the, the message of, of Christ is basically saying that you better look good on wood. Y'all hear me? You better look good on wood because the call is not to a lazy boy. The call is to a cross where, where he's always at work in you, where, the, where death is an everyday thing, where we, we purposely die to ourselves in order to become more alive to Christ. Do you see? Listen, if, if our faith, if, if, you, if you come into this room today and, and you say, oh, I got faith, I'm a Christian, I'm here, and I'm like cheering, I know some of the songs, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. If your faith hasn't moved you, if, if your faith hasn't stretched you, challenged you, changed you, motivated you, taken something that was here and moved it to something that's here, listen, then, then Jesus would simply say to you, I challenge you that you have faith at all. If you look back and you go, I'm the same old, same old, then maybe faith isn't real to you at all. Not, not biblical faith. Because we die to ourselves every single day in order to become more alive unto Christ. Letting God's Spirit work more in our life, not less. Wanting to follow Him further, deeper than ever before in our life, not less. Moving forward in our walk with Him. The Scripture promises that you and I will be, will be persecuted. We will, we will have trouble in this world. We will be uncomfortable. And so what's, what's this going to cost you? I don't know. I don't know. Well, tell me what, what, what it's all about. Tell me what Christianity is going to do for me, what it's not going to do for me, what, what it's going to change my life. I don't know. But I will tell you this, for some in this room, it will cost you your job. Because in your job, they ask you to do things that do not identify with Christ. There's some ethics there. That you go, as you walk closer to Christ and as you identify more with him, you go, oh, I can't be about these things. So you will have to walk away from job. For some in this room, it will cost you a promotion. Because what, what it takes to go to the next step, they'll ask you to do things that just don't reflect the love of God, the goodness of God, the holiness of God. And so it'll cost you that promotion. For some in this room, it will cost you a relationship. For some in this room, it'll cost you your family because they look at you and they go, whoa, whoa, we're real, real glad you got a little religion, but now you're going just too far. You ever heard that? <laughs> I have. It's just too far. It will cost you that because you will love him so much that everything else becomes second. It'll cost you relationships with your friends. It'll cost you in popularity because you simply will not go back to some of the things you used to do in this world. You simply will not go back there. 
And so you'll be moving in one direction and your friends will be moving in another direction. And it will cost you. It'll cost you. Um, it may even cost you your life. Come on, Jay. No, no, no. It may. You, do you realize, if you watch the news, they are killing, beheading followers of Jesus in the Middle East almost every day now. It may cost you your life one day. It'll be uncomfortable to follow Christ. You see, we're, we're comfortable, and I'm comfortable with the term Christian. In, in America, it means like, hey, you're a good guy. You pay your taxes. You, you live by this code of conduct, right? But I just think that the call of Christ was so much more than that. I think those things are fine. But that wasn't the call of Christ. Matter of fact, this, this word that he used over and over, disciple, it comes from this little Greek expression, methetis, methetis. And look what it means up here. It, it literally, it's a Greek expression that means a learner, a pupil, a disciple, or a follower, it connotates this idea that it's active in your life, that you're moving toward Christ. Listen, if the most thing that you do in your relationship with God is you come, out, come to church every week and you hope that there's a good music set and you hope that the message is halfway decent, then you're probably not a disciple. Because this understanding is that this is something you're pursuing in your life. You are an active learner. You're a pupil. You purposely are submitting yourself to the leadership of Jesus. You're a disciple. You're following him. You're in motion. Your life is moving toward him, not away from him. When you leave this place, this is just a recharge because you go further. You seek to be in his presence all the time. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to truly to come and follow. So I wanted to just take a moment, and I wanted to walk through, uh, if you've got a Bible, go back a few chapters, Luke chapter 5, so if you've got a smartphone, I think you would flip uh, down, and the number 5 will come up, so go to Luke 5, okay, Luke 5, find Luke 5, and I want to just talk about the first calling that Jesus ever did towards somebody else, where he called a disciple to follow him. So the scripture records that Jesus was speaking to a large crowd by a lake, and Apparently it was the end of the work day because uh, the men had been coming off the lake and they had been fishing and they were kind of wrapping up their nets, finishing the deal for the day. And so we kind of come to understand right away that this is like the end of a work day, probably mid-early uh, afternoon of some sort. I'm imagining I'm not much into fishing, but these guys probably started real early, like an ungodly time, like five or six in the morning, you know, something crazy like that. And so this was the end of their work day. And Jesus was talking and there's these fishermen that are coming in from their deal, and so it says this. Very interesting. Verse 4, Luke chapter 5, it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, we don't really know what he had talked about. I mean, he was preaching about something, people were gathered in, and all of a sudden these fishermen are upon to go, hey, what's going on here? Why is all the people here? Oh, ooh, one of the rabbis is here speaking to people. What's going on? Right, Jesus was very popular, very, very famous. People were gathering to see, right? And so they come up on this, and then it says this. When he had finished speaking, he says to Simon who is also known as Peter, right? He said to Simon, put out into the deep water again and let down your nets for a catch. Now this is interesting because this is where Simon the fisherman tells Jesus the carpenter, you're crazy. You're crazy. Like you've been like hitting too many nails with your life. You've been hitting your head. Or something's wrong because you don't understand fishing. I understand fishing. I'm good fishing. Like this is what I do all day. And I've been out all day long. And we're done for the day. And we didn't catch anything we learned. He says like we didn't catch anything. And now it's like afternoon. And it's too late to catch anything. My understanding to catch fish, you got to get up with the fish. Which is crazy thinking to me. Well, anybody would do this. But they do. 
They do this, okay? And so he says, I know fishing, you don't know fishing, so stop telling me what to do. And Jesus has this authority about him. And he just says, no, 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 you just, you go throw that little net thing out there again. And you see what happens. And listen to this. Listen to this. Luke 5, 5, it says, Peter gives the most incredible answer. Pause for a second. This is like the answer that should be on the lips of everybody who follows Christ. This should be in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds. This should roll easy out of our life. He says, but because you say so. I don't really think it's a good idea, but because you say so. I'm really comfortable the way I'm living right now. I'm very fine the way I am. I like living with my girlfriend, but because you say so. I like my money in my pocket. I don't want to give, but because you say so. I like to watch TV 17 nights a week. I don't want to go serve. Are you crazy? Help the youth group? Are you crazy? But because you, what? Say so. Peter responds. Peter does what the Lord asks. He goes out. He throws the nets down. And the scripture records. You go back and read it all. But it records that they brought in such an incredible catch of fish that it was like overwhelming the, the boats that they had. They had these like probably like oversized rowboat type of things. They were fishing boats. They were commercial style fishing boats. And, and it literally overwhelmed them so much so that Peter and his partners had to yell across the lake to another set of partners to come over and sal- salvage their boat before it went under. And so you can picture this all in your mind. Like they're like, like going, woo, woo, this is amazing. Who is that guy? Who is that guy? Woo, woo. We got to bring in fishing tomorrow because like this is the way to go. And so they're bringing it. Finally, they get to shore. And you can, I don't know how long this takes. I don't, I don't, uh, I, you know, I can't hardly understand all this. But he gets to the shore and I can picture in my mind like he's like, whoo, And then all of a sudden he looks up and Jesus is standing there. He's like, oh. Um, you're the one who, uh, who said, uh, throw out the, the little net things and, uh, who we just pulled in like the mother load of fish and, uh, oh, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. That's what he says. This is his response. It doesn't make any sense. He responds to this miracle. He responds to this amazing move of God. He says, get away from me. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a, what? Sinful Man, now what's interesting, I want you to think about this response. Because if some guy comes and does like a little miracle, like talks to the fish, commands the fish, I don't even know what he does with the fish, but all of a sudden, fish that we couldn't catch all day, we throw it out one time, and boom, we are in the mother load. When a man like that comes and does something, I'm not going like, get away from me. I'm like, hey, would you like to come and hang out with me anytime? It is like the exact opposite, am I right? Like if you come walking on water, I'm like, I want to be with you. But he does just the opposite. He says, go away from me, God. Go away from me, Lord. Because I know who I am. And I don't deserve to be around you. Now let me just unpack this a little bit because I think there's a reason why Peter responds this way. I think there's a reason for this. um, Because it's a very unusual response. I I, I need to take you back many years in Peter's life. Um, Now I want you to picture with me that Peter is this like five, six-year-old Jewish boy heading off to yeshiva school and he is... Uh, he, he's like in the little preparatory, he's got the uh, whole Jewish outfit on, he's got the little, you know, Jewish uniform on, and he's carrying the action figure, Moses parting the Red Sea lunch pail, and so it's like, he's into this, he's like that Jewish boy going to school. Do you realize, 
do you realize when we are trying to teach our five and six-year-olds the ABCs and one, two, threes, Jewish five and six-year-old boys were expected to memorize the Torah, the whole thing, five books, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, right? All the way through. Can you imagine this? And so think about this. Peter, like all good Jewish little boys, he goes to school, and this is part of his education. He's part of learning this, and he's excited for one thing. He's hopeful for one thing. Almost all Jewish boys were excited or hopeful that, that some rabbi would eventually come along and notice them, that, that they would somehow be picked by the rabbi. They would go to a rabbi and say, hey, can I be your disciple? Can I be your follower? Can I come after you? Pick me, pick me, pick me. And the whole point was that they were hoping by the time they were seven or eight that they had somehow impressed the rabbi enough to say, you can be my follower. You can come and I will teach you. I'll mentor you. I will love you. I'll, I'll show you how to live. I'll show you how to live like me. Now, apparently, Peter did not make the cut. How do we know Peter did not make the cut? Because he goes back to the fishing business. Scripture says that he fished like his father fished. My guess is he fished like his father's father fished. And his father's father father fished. It was the family business. This was very common in that day. That you would just go back to your family business, your family trade, and you would just take over where your daddy left off. Very, very common. And so Peter misses the boat. Literally. Now, fast forward to this scene. All of a sudden, a rabbi shows up on, on, on his beach where he does work where he's running his business. And this rabbi does something that no other rabbi has ever done. This rabbi commands the fishy. This, this rabbi seems to have authority that nobody else has. And when he puts two and two together and goes, I just experienced the miraculous, his response wasn't, hey, come and hang out with me. You know what his response was? It was to go away from me. And why was that, friends? It was because he had been rejected all of his life. And he already knew that uh, far lesser rabbis had rejected him all the way up through the Jewish system. He never made it to Harvard. He never made it to Yale. And so he goes, there's no way on earth that this guy is going to choose me for anything. And so he just says, you know what? I wasn't worthy of all the other ones, and I'm not worthy of you. But Jesus comes along, and he says, oh, you don't even know. Jesus picks him chooses him. Now, let me land on a little thought here. Um, and this is just for me. It's only for me. It's about my journey with, with Christ. Um, when, I, when I think of the word Christian, I, I think of the word belief system. I think of this idea that you have a set of values that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he, that he died on the cross for us and he rose from the grave and that we have this kind of set of values and moral code that we live by. And you know what? I'm good with that. Um, I, I like going to church. I like my church friends. I, I'm good with this. But when I think about being a disciple, it, it scares me because it's at a whole different level. It's at a different call. It's no longer just about uh, coming to church and kind of having this uh, ascent of belief in my mind. It is about doing what he did. It's about loving like he loved. 
It's about caring like he cared. It's about connecting with God in the same way that he connected with God. It's about my life reflecting him to the world. When they see me, they see a little Jesus running around. And that scares the living bejeebers out of me because I know who I am. Away from me, God, I'm a sinner. I'm just like Peter. And my guess is it probably scares some of you because it's easy to just sit in a crowd like this and come to church and be an American Christian Much easier than saying, I want to follow you and reflect you to the world. When people see me, I want them to see you. Changes the game. Changes the game. And so Peter says, no, 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 get away from me. And Jesus says, no, Peter, no, Peter, no, Peter. I want you to come and follow after me. And then he says this little phrase. Listen to this, Uh, Luke 5.10. Check this out. It's incredible. He says, "Um, don't be afraid. Pause real quick. Don't be afraid. Well, if I follow God, he's going to change everything. Yep, but don't be afraid. Well, if I follow the God you're talking about, Jay, then that really means something. Yep, but don't be afraid. Well, well Jay, listen, you're saying it will cost me, like, everything. Like, like literally, like, my life, my identity, who I am. You're, you're really, you're saying it will cost me. Yep. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because I have something better for you. I'm going to take you where you never thought you could go. I'm going to take you to places that you never dreamed possible. I'm going to open up a relationship with God that you thought was always for somebody else. And he says this, don't be afraid. From now on, you will, say this word with me, or these two words, catch men. You'll catch men. You'll catch men. Now, pause for a second. Some of you single ladies, you may want to put that on your refrigerator. From now on, you will catch men. Glory to God. If you decide to follow Jesus, you will do what he did. Your life will no longer be about going to work and paying the bills. There's nothing wrong with going to work and paying the bills. I do it every day just like you all do. But it'll be more than that. You see, when you follow Jesus, you will do what he did. What what did Jesus come to do? Well, the scripture says, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. This means that you will partner with Jesus to give life and life to the full to those around you. Woo! Scary. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What did Jesus do? He, he reached out to others. You, you will bring joy to people. You will bring hope to people. Jesus says, I did not come for the healthy or for the righteous, but for the sick and for the unrighteous. You'll bring healing to this world. You'll bring redemption to this world. You'll have compassion for a broken world around you. You, you won't be consumed with your own comfort. You'll be consumed with the kingdom of God. You'll come back here every once in a while because you need a rest. Whew. But tomorrow morning, back at it. For the kingdom of God. For the glory of God. Listen, in, in this world, um, he says, I've come for the sinners. He's come for the prostitutes and the gluttons and, and the tax collectors. God forbid. He's come for the unrighteous. For the HIV patient. For someone struggling with an affair. Someone struggling with pornography, sexual sin, same-sex attractions. 
be the one he uses to heal and to bring hope. This is what he does. So this is what we are going to do. Jesus says, I, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world. If you are a disciple, if you are his follower, you will not be judgmental and condemning of this world anymore. Do you get this? You will not look around and go, Woo, I'm glad I got my act together. I wish they would all get theirs. Your heart will break for a broken world. You will not have peace in your heart for a world that has no peace. You'll be like going, I got to go do something. I got to go do something. I got to go do something. You will no longer be content to sit idly by as the world slips into hell. You will not be content to sit in your lazy boy and watch other people do the work of God that you know full well that you should be doing. That you should be part of. You will get in the game because this is what followers This is what we do. Very quickly, I want to tell you two, two marks of a follower, very, very quickly. Um, they come right out of this passage or lifted right out of this. Listen, what marks a follower is this? Um, followers follow with a trusting obedience. We follow with a trusting obedience. Uh, Peter says, he says, uh, because you what? Because you say so. He didn't like negotiate and goes, hey, 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 uh, what, are we, what are we talking about here? Uh, we brought you... Because you say so. Well, I don't want to care about people. I don't want to serve people. I don't want to forgive people. I don't want to give. I don't, I don't want to be bothered. I'm busy. I'm happy on my own. I, I'm, I'm content. I'm comfortable with my life. But because you say so, I'm not going to sit idly by anymore. I will get in the game. You see, what marks a follower versus a Christian is somebody who follows. That's the difference. Somebody who goes where he goes. And you have this trusting obedience where you know, God, I don't understand. I don't even want it for my life, but I trust that your wisdom for me is better than my wisdom for me. Trusting obedience. And here's the second thought. You may want to write this one down. Followers follow with an absolute abandonment, a reckless type of abandonment. Um, it, what's interesting is when this whole thing goes down, Jesus says, come and follow. Don't be afraid, but come and follow. I'll make you uh, fishers of men. You'll catch men from this day forward. Uh, the, the response of Peter was incredible. It says, it, says, um, it says, they left, say this word, everything. They left everything and they followed him. Now, it's pretty incredible. I, I did some research on this word because I wanted to undercover, uncover the depth of this word, the meaning of this word, unpack it a little bit for y'all. I mean, I, I went to the Greek and the lexicons and I went crazy and I'm just, I, I want us to understand this whole idea of everything. It says what? It says they left, say this word? Everything. After like tons of study, I'm going to tell you what everything means. You ready? Everything. It just means everything. I mean, it means that they held on to nothing. It means they were like living open-handedly before God. And they said, God, whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, it's yours. Whatever, it's yours. This is my life. Listen, God's call for you may not be to put the fishing boat away and like go to Tanzania or something crazy. I don't know. It might be. But the call for you is the absolute same call that Peter had. That you are willing to abandon everything for him that you will follow him no matter where it takes you in this world. 
And let me ask this question. Why do you think Peter, he, he's got this business, he's got responsibility. People go, well, it wasn't the same back then. No, they had families, they had homes, they had to feed the kids, they had houses just like we have. Everything that we have to struggle through, they had to struggle through. They just didn't have cell phones. Okay? Do you get it? They had life just like we had life. And the reason Peter, for him, that exchange was worth it was because it was better than any other life he could have. The rabbi finally came. Anybody feel unworthy for the grace of God? Anybody? Anybody in the room? You feel unworthy sometimes? I do. But the rabbi comes and says, Jeremy, you have an invitation to follow me, to be right with God, to connect with God, to do life with God. No more walls of separation. No more nights of darkness. Life with him. And I'm not so foolish to not notice a good deal when I see it. He says, you come, you give up everything, but I will give you way more than you could ever imagine. Life to the full. You see, I think at some point, um, for those of us who just want to play American church, uh, we, we've got to realize that we're missing something. We're missing life with God where he becomes our son, our shield, our savior, our protector, our hope, our guide, our highest pursuit, our loftiest dream, where his glory fills our lives, where we can fix our eyes on something greater than the world around us, where we can engage the world at far deeper and better levels than we ever had before because we're locked onto something eternal. Friends, when we get onto that, we will catch men. We will do the God thing in our life. Everything else will fade and God will become more. His glory will become more. Anybody hear that? Anybody? Um, I, I just want to, to leave you with uh, something that Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, way back in the 1500s, 1540 or so, he said this. He was a great reformer. You know what he did? He, he, he tore down senseless religion. He was one of the great reformers. Martin Luther was an amazing man, and, and God used him in incredible ways, and we owe much of what we're experiencing today to this man who lived almost 500 years ago. It was incredible, and uh, this is what he says. Listen carefully to these words. Listen very, very careful. He says, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Let me read that again to you because some of y'all are going, whoa, I lost you after the first nothing. Let me read this again. Please don't miss this. He says, a religion that gives nothing, costs you nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing to you. A follower of Christ is not a tourist in this world. We're not pulling up the lazy boy for the ride. We are engaged in the work of God. Don't be content with just being a Christian. It was never Jesus' call for you. Be a follower. 
fully devoted follower. Jesus, we come before you and just uh, quiet our souls a little bit. I ask that your spirit would speak among us. God, that you would help us to risk much. That we won't be afraid of giving you our, our whole lives. I believe right in this room right now, God, that your spirit is speaking. It's moving in, in the hearts of men and women. Calling us into deeper waters. God, help us not to be afraid. May your spirit speak, oh God. May we figure out what it means to truly follow you. Jesus' name. Amen.